<laughs> so glad you're here. Thank okay. you. Okay. So happy to see you. Yes. So happy to see all of you. We're going to jump right in because as usual, we have a lot to cover and some of this stuff we're going to, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. <laughs> um, okay. So we are still in chapter five and what we left off discussing last class was this idea that we have this connection to God. And the way we describe this connection is with a rope, right? We have this, but it's not like a one strand rope. It's a thick rope. It's a thick rope that's kind of woven together out of 613 strands, okay? And obviously the reason why there's 613 strands is because each strand corresponds to another um, either, um, mitzvah or prohibition, right? So these are the things, these are the connections that keep us directly connected to Hashem. So we are, the beginning, we started this chapter off talking about the fact that there are sins that are so serious that you actually, a person can actually lose their life, right? Either um, before, like before age 50 or before age 60, depending on what sin we're talking about. And this is a very kind of big concept that we're pulling apart and trying to understand to the best of our ability. So we were, and we're going to continue to discuss this today, but where, what we've discussed so far is that this, this idea of car race, this idea of this complete disconnect, um, happens for specific transgressions. In the time of the temple, the person would physically lose their life before age 50 or 60. Nowadays, and we, we haven't really discussed why yet, why nowadays is so different than the times of the temple. We're actually going to discuss that more next chapter, but that doesn't happen. We don't necessarily lose our life over these transgressions. And we're going to talk about today more about this, like what's happening spiritually when the, these kinds of scenarios occur. And then if, let's say, let's say somebody transgresses this type of sin when they're 30 years old and they lose their life at 50 What's keeping them alive in those 20 years if this transgression is such a, if that transgression um, affects such a huge disconnect? We have to understand how this works. But before we even get there, what we said last class is that even a sin that's not punishable by kares, even a sin that's not punishable by this extreme disconnect, every sin creates a space between the person and God, okay? You create a separation. You create a weakness in your connection. Why? Because remember, each strand is connected to one of these mitzvahs, one of these trans, one of these, either the things that we're trying to avoid doing or the things we're trying to do. And when you, when somebody sins, it creates a, a blemish 
And the analogy that the Tanya uses is that um, if you know anything about um, the way that Jewish law um, tasks us with um, slaughtering animals, it talks about the, the blade of the knife used for this ritual slaughter has to be completely smooth without any nicks or grooves, right? There cannot be any deficiency on the edge of the knife. Side note, why? Because any nick slows down the process of the cut, which inflicts pain on the animal. And, and Jewish law is very, very, very careful in, yes, Hashem created food to eat, but it still is very important that we that we don't, the animal doesn't suffer through that process. So this knife has to be super sharp. And if you ever see, if you ever have seen a shochet test the knife, they have like a one long nail. My brother-in-law is a shochet and they test the knife on that nail and it has to like be a smooth, like no, like you would feel it in your nail if there was any like indentations in that knife to slow that process down. So uh, the altar was comparing this, idea of this smooth knife um, to what a nick would look like when we transgress. So some transgressions cut off the overall life force of a um, of the person, right? And some just create a nick, right? It's that it's that little blemish that is disrupting our connection with Hashem. Okay. So um, any questions so far? No. Okay. So these 613 mitzvot that connect us with Hashem are the 300, 613 ways that Hashem expresses his inner will. So I, I, just a reminder that we, ha we haven't said this in a while, but just a reminder that if you want to translate what a mitzvah actually is, this is God's inner desire. A mitzvah is, is the, is the um, mode in which he can express his will. Every time we do a mitzvah, we are fulfilling God's innermost will and desires, okay? So this cord is made up of 613 strands of God's innermost will. Um, when we transgress, that rope, that cord is no longer completely intact, okay? And the more, give me one second, the more strands you cut, the more sins that happen, the more strands you cut, the weaker that connection gets, okay? The weaker that that, that that um, rope gets, which directly affects our connection to Hashem. Yes. So as you're explaining and teaching about the cord or, or the rope, yeah, where is that rope? The rope is 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 it's figurative. Okay, so the rope is our is in our soul. It originates from. Remember, we actually spoke about this in the last class or two classes ago. I even have the drawing still. Um, <laughs> It originates from our soul, inside our soul, and it goes all the way into the the, la the tip of the last hay in the yud K vav K. 
So it's inside us. Inside of us. Okay. Inside our soul. Okay. Inside your godly soul. Which is inside us. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Thank Make you. Sense? Yes. Okay. So we understand the rope. We understand connection. We understand that mitzvos is what connects us to Hashem because you know, even in physical relationships, you know the 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 most deep and intense way to connect to someone is to understand what they want and who they are and and connect with that, right? So it makes sense. Like if you think about your 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 personal relationships, like. When you really understand someone, you understand what makes them tick. Like what are what are their innermost wants and desires? What are their life dreams and goals, right? Like you understand that. That's what connects you to your physical relationships, how much more so within your connection to Hashem, right? We need to, in order to connect to Hashem, we need to understand and tap into his innermost desire. And those are our mitzvahs. That's the connection piece. Without that, it's very, very, very hard to stay connected. You can't, everyone has access to some sort of relationship with God, but what mitzvahs do for us is it gives us a tangible way to connect. It's very, very hard to just connect, right? Without any tangible ways of doing so. And this is why if you learn about Yiddishkeit and Judaism, feeling spiritual and connecting to God are two different things. Just because you feel spiritual doesn't mean you're connecting to God. Just throwing that out there. Think about that. It's a little bit annoying to process that piece. But sometimes you could feel spiritual and connected to God at the same time. Absolutely. But sometimes you can do some, you can be doing something that is not godly, but makes you feel spiritual. And it's very easy for us to, for us to mix that up with a godly connection. Right? Can you give an example of that? Yeah. So like if you're doing yoga, right? And you're feeling spiritual. If God doesn't enter your mind in that yoga process, but you're feeling very spiritual and very connected to the earth and connected to whatever, that's not godly, right? You're not connecting to God, right? Unless you deliberately connect it. Same thing. If you're going on a beautiful mountain hike and you're just like, oh my gosh, I feel so spiritual, but God doesn't enter that picture. It's not, you're not doing anything bad. You're, 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 you're feeling connected to the earth. You're feeling connected to, I don't know, I don't know what, but if you are not physically in your brain saying, wow, look at Hashem's beautiful world. This is amazing. Like, look, Hashem. look at the creations of Hashem. That's connection to Hashem. But if you go up on the top of the mountain and you cross your legs and you do a yoga pose, that's maybe you feel spiritual, but it's not godly. But how can you feel spiritual if it's not godly? People do. Spiritual you is. You wouldn't know is, how to do that. You don't know how to do that because in your mind, spiritual is automatically godly. Right. But people who who's who God isn't a, a big part of their lives and are, aren't don't have access to it. It's not. They can feel spiritual, but it has nothing to do with God. For people who probably all of us who are sitting in this Tanya class, for us, godly equals spiritual and spiritual equals godly. But for many people in the world, that is not the case. And they can mix up spirituality or 
in touch with their inner self as a godly experience. And it could be, but it has to be conscious in your mind that that's what's happening. But that's a total digression. Um, do you have any questions on that? Because if not, think about it and see what happens, see what comes up for you. But I, I've personally experienced many conversations with people that that someone feels very spiritual, but is entirely, it's not connected to God. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that it's good to feel spiritual. I'm just saying that it doesn't necessarily equal service of God. Yeah. Makes sense. Sure. I mean, I understand. I don't understand. You understand it? Like, I don't properly. understand spiritual if it's not God. Yeah. Because no, I don't know what, what is spiritual. Right. But because for you, God is very spiritual, but you can have, you know, I always go back to the, the yoga because that's a good, easy explanation. Yeah. You can have a bunch of yogis sitting on top of a mountain doing poses and feeling spiritual, but it has nothing to do with God. It can happen. That's, you know, that's, that's the, tr the challenge of this world is that it gets murky and it gets confusing and we can not, we can lose kind of our sight of like, what is actual godly, which brings me back to what I was saying is that mitzvahs, mitzvahs are godly. You'll never have to like debate or understand or, or try to figure out if mitzvahs are godly or not. Cause God gave us 613 things that, you know, you know, it's like when people say like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to connect to God. And it's true. People really don't know, but it's, thank God it's easy to share. Cause you're like, I can give you 613 ways, right? Like there are 613 ways you connect to God. Pick one. You don't have to do all of them at once. You don't have to commit to all of them. Pick one, pick one. And that is your gateway into your connection with God. So I think it's so amazing. And I think we don't think about it enough that when, when we struggle with our service and we're feeling confused and lost and we're like, we, I don't even know how to connect to God. Um, we could always come back to this idea of like, oh, like actually God told us, God told me, maybe it's not what I want to do. Maybe it's not how I want to feel connected, but but if I really want to, like, I know how, right? Whatever. I can open up a Tanya. I can open up a, a, a sitter and I can say Moda'ani. I can give tzedakah. I can light Shabbos candles. I could visit the sick. I could, you know, there's so many things that myriad, I can take a, a bite of a kosher sandwich. Like all of those things are, are literally what's God saying. Oh, you want to connect to me? I'm not making it a mystery. I'm not making it like impossible for you to figure out. Yeah. It's challenging. It could be hard. Sometimes we don't want to connect in that way. And that's how we create our own ways of connecting. You know, God would never want me to do da 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 da, da. Oh, really? Because it seemed to say that he expi explicitly told us that this is what he wants. And sometimes people are like, no, can't be. Can't be that God wants me to inconvenience myself with dressing modestly. Can't be. My God would never want me to do that. not so much right maybe it's hard maybe you don't connect to it in in that way maybe that's not the right mitzvah for you right now but god does not necessarily like sometimes god feels um hidden from us like right now like we're trying like where god where are you in this mess 
But in the other sense, like he's in, he's in, he's in, he's in here. Like we, we, we know what to do, right? We know what to do. Anyways, that was a huge digression, but I hope it was, I, I guess I, I needed to hear it myself. So that's why I said it. Um, <laughs> okay. But moving along, um, so knowing all this, in view of all this, that transgressions disconnects a person from his source of life, from his source of vitality, a person who transgresses a serious prohibition is punishable by kares or death at the hand of God, one is 50, one is 60, um, you would think he should die immediately. If, if this disconnection is so severe, right, and the cord is severed, right, it's not just a little nick in the cord, excuse me, the cord is severed, how is it that that person at the time of the sin doesn't just die? How does he stay alive, right? Um, because if that connection is is so complete, it doesn't seem logical that 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 person should stay alive. But the reality is, is that he does stay alive for however many years, right? However many years it is till he reaches 50 or 60. So we need to understand how this happens. Like, where are the different sources of energy coming from? How come, how could it be that we're alive, but we're disconnected and disconnected? But I mean, like, it's, it's a little bit of a mess. And that's what we're going to discuss right now. Okay. So, um, Kares affects the divine soul, right? The divine soul's full source of vitality stems from holiness. Okay. The divine soul, our godly soul, gets all its power from holiness, right? But um, but a person's soul doesn't just leave him as if it was never there, right? So what happens? When a person transgresses this big sin, right? Even though the soul's connection to its source is cut off, what happens is, is that there's a remnant of its essence that continues to vivify, to keep that person alive, even though its connection to life, to it, even though its connection to its life source has already been disconnected. Okay, so what am I saying here? Just because the connection is severed doesn't mean there's no residual life force keeping that person alive. You know, it made me think like uh, one of the examples that I, that I, the Tanya gives an example, which I'll share with you. But one of the examples that I thought of when I read this was I, people kept, you know, asking me like in my community or the people that I come in contact with, like, how are you doing? And are you okay? And, and I'm like, you know, since Sukkot, since the holiday, I feel like I'm running on fumes. Like we're not sleeping that much. You know, we're, we're emotionally and physically exhausted. So it feels like I'm running on fumes. And this is kind of what it reminds me of, right? Like what, when something has a very big presence, just because the, it, it isn't there anymore, doesn't mean there isn't residual energy that's left over. So the example that the altar gives is that it's imagine a dam, 
okay? It's constructed in midstream of a river, okay? The water on the other side of the dam continues to flow downstream, right? This flowing water isn't coming directly from the source because the source is cut off. But there's still a certain amount of water that flows until it runs out. But the water's still flowing even though the there's a dam. So that's like our soul, right? Our soul continues to have some kind of residual energy, even though its main source of energy is cut off. Does that make sense? Yeah? So I'm going to review. Basically, what happens when a person transgresses this major sin, right? The, the rope that we have right here in my lovely drawings, okay, severed. Sever, right? That's the dam. Think of it as a dam. There's still residual energy that's going to be coming from the dam down to the person's soul. There's leftover energy, just like there's leftover water that continues to flow, even though there's a dam. There's leftover energy that continues to flow. When that energy runs out, that's when the person dies. When the water stops flowing, when it uses up it's when it uses up its residual energy that's when the person dies because there's only a certain amount of residual energy that can sustain the person right there's only a certain amount of time you can run on fumes right there's only a certain amount of water that's going to run after the dam is put up so your connection to hashem is severed but you, but a person can run on this residual energy for a certain amount of time when that energy runs out, that's when the person dies. And that energy runs out either before age 50 or before age 60. Yes. Hurry. Um, what is, can you give us an example of like what, what, what that sin is? Type, yeah. What know, sin are we talking I actually, about? <laughs> I actually was like, I don't know what I actually don't know what the sin is that causes this and I'm and I'm actually very hesitant to find out <laughs> so I'm like I don't know if I want to know this information that's very scary but do we want to know yes you do okay you do okay so I'm going to write myself a note and I'm going to I'm going to research and I'm going to well I probably just have to ask my husband um what sin causes caress i want to i'm, I'm gonna speculate but don't hold me accountable i want to say it has to do with shabbos i want to say it has to do with um maybe in some kind of inappropriate relationship um but those are my guesses i'm pretty sure it has something to do with shabbos um so i'm gonna find out and I'm going to ask again, if you're sure you want to know, because we don't want to live in fear. That's not going to be helpful, right? Fear is not a good way to live. It's sometimes a good motivator. So I'm not saying that it's probably good to know, but I don't want to be responsible for freaking you guys out and then feeling like anxious about your service of God because of this. So that's why I'm just mindful of that. So, um, but I'll find out and, um, next week I'll let, I'll let you know 
I'll give you another warning before I tell you. <laughs> um, it's good for us to know when, if, when we're going to die. <laughs> well, okay. But that's the other thing. We're going to talk about that more next class, but it Karis doesn't apply nowadays. It only applies, it applies in the time of the temple. And we're going to, we're going to understand why in a minute. So but it's right not going to happen to us. No, no, we will. We do not die from Karis nowadays. Um, oh, oh. We, have, we have on second. Is it one of them eating on Yom Kippur? I think you're right. That's one of them that rings a bell. I think so. Okay. That's not too bad. Like we can, like, that's not so scary. What um, if you're sick? What if you're okay, sick? Once, if you got a dispensation from a Rav, then that's your, that's your new mitzvah, right? That's what you're obligated to do. If you're obligated to eat on Yom Kippur, then that's your mitzvah to eat on Yom Kippur. But as a general rule, we don't need, that's why my, my husband always announces like before Yom Kippur and after he's like, if you have a choice between eating on Yom Kippur or coming to Shul, stay home, stay in bed. And don't eat. And don't eat. It's way more important. Um, no, so Avaita Zara, I think is, um, oh, I guess I'm mixing up like the three mitzvahs that you're supposed to die for, right? Is Avaita Zara, Shvicha, Sama, Megillah, Arias, which is Avaita Zara, um, killing, murder, and inappropriate relationships. So I guess if you do them, that brings on kares. That makes sense. I always like put them in a different category. I'm like, you, you die. Like you have to die before you do that. But I guess if you do it, um, maybe that we're going to find out. Are there just a, a certain amount of sins? Like there, there's certain yeah, sins? There are certain sins that are Remember we learned last time because they're so serious and because they cause such a huge disconnect. The, it's not even so much as you, it's almost like a, a natural consequence. You know how we tell our kids, we're not, I'm not punishing you, but you have a natural consequence. It sounds better, right? Well, the natural consequence of doing one of these sins, it's so grave that, like we said, our soul just gets disconnected as a natural consequence. It's a cause and effect. Because if you're severing your connection, you're eventually not going to be able to keep living. What if you final? What if you suddenly, after many many years, of not being, you know, very observant or very Jewish like or anything, and suddenly you decide you you return to God and you you connect and you found God? Yeah. So that's called so a what happens, right? That's, that's what, what happens. happens. You know, when you live a life, this is the whole point of this book, right? When you live a life, especially if you're unaware, right right? You're unaware and you come back and you find God and you come um, and you could like, you are a new person. Like you, you're a new person. And those previous transgressions that you um, experience are wiped clean because first of all, you, uh, oh, we have, okay. One second. I'm going to read it in a second. Um, first of all, you, um, you didn't know, right? Like so many, so most of the world, it, you know, they don't have no idea that they're disconnecting from Hashem. They don't even know much about Hashem, right? So if you are, you are in an opportunity where you discover Hashem and you return and you like, that's your tshuva process. That's your connection to Hashem. And those past things don't, are not held against you. 
The question is, is if you are a practicing, observant Jew who knows what's right and what's wrong and, and knows what's expected of them and then does one of these things, then we, what's the, we actually, and we're going to, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but as long as a Jew is alive, there's always a possibility of return. Even from these sins. Yes. It's very, very, very difficult because you're trying to return even though your connection is kind of severed. So we're going to talk about how it's even possible. And that's what we're going to talk. I don't know how far we'll get to in this class. But as long as you're alive, you have the possibility of return. It's going to be hard depending on what you're trying to return from. But it's never a lost cause. Okay. So we have a Google search that tells us, I was right, okay, do we wanna know? You found the answer already? Right now, do we wanna know right now? Say yes, yes or yes. no, okay. So far we know, okay, these are, it's ringing a bell. Chametz on Pesach, Avodah Zara, and certain violations of Shabbos. That's what we have so far. Okay, so the Chametz on Pesach is a very big deal. Okay, um, I knew certain violations of Shabbos and and of and and idol worship, and then we have circumcision. What not doing a circumcision, not having a circumcision. Why do you think Chabad rabbis are crazy for getting boys to have a circumcision? It's a big deal. We're having a circumcision, a bris tomorrow in our shul. Very exciting. Um, okay. Yes, thank you. Now, the altar gives another example of um, this example of still having some life vitality, even though connection is severed. So he gives the sages actually are the ones to talk about this, gives an example of this actually made me smile um, a convulsing lizard tail. Okay, when a lizard senses danger, it sheds its tail. Okay, as soon as it is, when the tail is separated from the lizard's body, it's dead, right? The tail doesn't have life anymore, but for a certain amount of time, it um, convulses and like bounces around and twists around as if it was alive. Have you ever seen that? I've actually seen that. It's pretty gross. Um, so, there's a slight difference in this analogy. For the lizard, um, there's no possibility of the tail getting reattached to the body and returning, right? But a person who transgresses a sin, and even if he's punishable by kares, he could find a way to return, even though it's going to be super difficult because of the disconnect that he brought upon himself, it's really hard to disconnect. You know, like, also like, I'm gonna give an example of like a interpersonal relationship. Like when you lose somebody's trust, right? Depending on, first of all, how many times you've lost the trust and how, what, in what way you lost trust, like it's very hard to gain back trust, right? That's a very hard thing to do. So when somebody transgresses a sin that's punishable by kares, the, uh, the the ability to return is always will be there. 
But that person is going to have to work really hard and want it really badly to make that happen. Okay? So as long as a person is alive, they can return. That's very, very, very powerful. That's very powerful. Okay? Like, I, I want you to keep that in mind because even, never mind sins punishable by Kares, but just keeping that in mind that like Hashem makes it possible that no matter what, as long as we're still living, we have the possibility of return. So that, that I want you to hold in your heart as a really big comfort. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean we're actually going to use the opportunity, but the idea that, that we're not lost causes is very good. It's very helpful, right? Um, That's so a big kindness from God. It's it's literally exactly, and and basically, this this ability to return no matter what is very connected to this idea that there's even though the soul's cut off, there's still remnants of the soul, right? That's um, that's what grants the person the chance to renew or restore the spiritual bond. Because even though the connection is severed, there's still that energy that, that we could choose to tap into and use that as a, a, a reconnection point. Okay. So. I believe that, um, the circumcision example that came up, it's not an example. It's, it's yeah. probably, it's probably the top one. I think circumcision think is so. big. It's big for Hashem. Yeah. What I'm thinking is who's going to be, um, in charge. Would it be the mother or would it be the child that didn't get circumcision? Is the parent's responsibility. And well, that's it, a very good question. If a child isn't circumcised, who who gets punished, right? Right, right. I don't think it's fair to say the child because they don't have any say. In right. Like, but a person can have a circumcision later in life. So I, that's a very good question. I will ask. What if they were circumcised, but not by a mole? Oh, all these good questions. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I think... I think it counts somewhat, but then if they're made aware that they're, that's, I think there has to be like some kind of like process that the mile does, even for a consequence, even for a circumcision that a doctor does. It's a very, well, it's a and it, it, there's the father, it's the father's responsibility, responsibility to, to bring his son for this mitzvah and actually the father is supposed to do it himself right the mitzvah is for the father to do it himself and that's why you hire a mile instead of you but it's very interesting because right. in montana we have 95 99 percent intermarriage and a lot of times the father's not jewish so then the obligation lands on the mother um so it's it's tricky i don't i, I can find out i, I am interested in this of this idea of like who's responsible for the circumcision as far as who pays the price 
um, if it's not done. Well, I'll find that out. I, I do not know. Or if it's um, done just by a, by a doctor at the hospital. Right. And and if it's somebody, this is why it's like very, very huge for um, in our in our job, we take it very seriously that we really, really advocate for a male to do a circumcision, not a doctor, um, obviously. Um, but I don't know to what extent, like if it counts, I don't know if it counts at all or or not. I'd have to find that out. You guys give me a lot of homework to do. Excellent. Okay. Sorry. Now, no, it's good. It's good homework. Um. So. But this is not happening now, you say, no? No. Kares does not happen now. We're going to talk about how this affects us in today's times, chapter six. Now, I thought we would finish chapter five today, but maybe not, which is okay. We are in no rush. Um, but, but chapter six, we're going to delve into more of what this looks like and for us nowadays, but it's still very important for us to know what happens in the time of the base of Mikdash and the, in the ideal, when the world is running according to Jewish law, right? We don't have like our court system isn't a Jewish court system, right? In the time of the temple, the world was run by Jewish law. When the world isn't run by Jewish law, when we are in exile, there's different energies, there's different criteria. God can't expect as much from us in exile as he does when he's revealed and he's in, and we have a holy temple. Like it's not fair. Like you can't expect us to behave the same way when we have a temple right in front of us and when we are struggling to connect with God and he's hidden in an exile. That's the whole thing of exile, that God is way more hidden, right? So if he's way more hidden, then there's different expectations. Well, and there's a whole bunch of mitzvahs that we can't do. That we can't do. Well, yeah, there's a whole list of things that we can't do that are only applicable when there's a temple or if we live in Israel or, or during, or, you know, all the sacrifices and all that stuff, right? We right. are not obligated with 613 commandments at this point in time, I would say probably half, you know, like, um, but that, yes, that's a very good point. But we're so, obligated to know all that because it's studying Torah. No. So you know what it is, is when you study about these mitzvahs, it's like you do them. So that's why in our prayers, we talk about the sacrifices and why, why, why do we have to talk about it? Because when we pray, by the way, prayer didn't really exist in the time of the temple. Sacrifice was prayer, right? So when we pray and we talk about the sacrifices, that's how we are fulfilling that part of, because we want to have a complete strand. So there are ways to fill those parts of the 613 commandments that don't apply to us we can still fulfill them, fulfill them nowadays differently. Most of the time, it's like through prayer. So, um, so, so this is Marjorie. I just wanted yeah. to mention that um, there's like over a million Russians that came from Russia to Israel, and yeah. many of them were adults, and they um, wanted were to be circumcised. Yep. So, so there's all kinds of circumstances that you have to look at. Yeah, but if a, but if a person chooses to circumcise themselves as an adult, then they take care. Like then they they did it right. Um, it's 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 if somebody, and I don't know if like a, I guess I could find that out. I don't know if a person 
chooses on their own to have a circumcision when they're older, if the parent who was supposed to make sure they had a circumcision didn't make sure is liable in some way, even though the child eventually gets a circumcision, is the parent still liable for not have do having done their obligation in that process? So that is a, a point that we can discuss further. But 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 there it like if if somebody doesn't get a circumcision as a child, they do have the opportunity. It's never too late. Never too late, right? You can you could do it at any time. We actually had a beautiful situation in in Bozeman with a 13-year-old boy who on his own with his mother, whose mother wasn't, you know, aware or in the place to give their his son a circumcision when he was born. But together, just a few months ago, they he had a circumcision at 13 years old. It's a very beautiful thing. Um, okay, so the Talmud says, okay, wow, it's 8.15 already. Okay, we're going to do a few more minutes of learning and then we'll stop. The Talmud says that 50 years is the maximum lifespan of a person who's liable for caris, okay? And 60 is the maximum for somebody who's liable by death at the hands of heaven. I don't know what the difference between those two are, what mitzvahs are. I can try to find that out. But there's two different criteria. One gets a person killed or dead by 50 and one by 60. Um, so this means that a person living the life of spiritual excision, meaning he is cut off spiritually, hits a limit when that kind of residual energy runs out that person dies physically as well so there's the time period however many years that that person is running on residual energy right the remnants of that connection of Hashem when that connection runs out that person dies okay Nowadays, post-temple era, a person who transgressions a sin punishable by kares can live longer than 50 or 60 years, okay? That just made things more complicated. The question is, could they live longer? They could live longer, but do they, but does kares could, could Hashem inflict kares even today i'm gonna have to find that out i don't know because i was i was uh, yeah well he could but i was under the assumption that it doesn't apply today but may but but i have to find out for sure maybe it is more fluid than that maybe it's hashem decides whether he's gonna let you live longer or not so i don't know um now, this is where we get a little bit more spiritual and a little bit more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, abstract, which is okay. We got this. I'm not sure how far we'll get to it, but we're going to start. So the Altareba now has a parenthetical um, comment regarding this question of how a person who transgresses a sin punishable by kares continues to live. Okay, he has a comment. It, it doesn't change what we said, but we're gonna 
delve a little bit deeper into this. And we are going to go into actual Kabbalistic text from the Arizal to talk a little bit more about the idea of a two different types of energy that sustains the world, okay? Um, so the person who warrants the punishment of Kares no longer receives his vitality from the inner illumination of light, right? He has to now receive energy from the encompassing light. And I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute. Okay. Um, there is, I actually wrote it down. There's two, and I think I'll, we'll, we'll talk about these two types of energies, and then that's where we'll stop and we'll continue next class. There are two types of energies in the world. One is called, the Hebrew word is, one is called mimale. That's the light that fills, that's the internalization type of energy, energy that we can internalize. And then there's the sovave. The sovave light is the abstract, transcendent, hovers above kind of light. Okay? So there's the light that penetrates, that gets absorbed, and then there's the light that hovers and is abstract and transcendent. Okay? Now, our soul has five parts. Have you ever heard of that, of this? We actually discussed it a little bit in the first book of Tanya. I'm going to write it down on my handy dandy paper here. Um, actually, I know what I'm going to type it in the, in, the, in the chat box. That'll be better. The soul has five parts. Okay. We have Nefesh. Ruach, Neshama. Okay. These three parts of our soul get internalized into our body. Okay. Then we have two parts of our soul that never really enter our body. They hover. Okay. Those are Chaya and Yechida. We could talk more about what each of these parts of the souls do and what's their job and what they accomplish. We're not going to get into that right now. What's important for us to know is that there are parts of our soul that we that we internalize and that keeps us alive. And then there's the parts of the soul that's all encompassing. I mean, that's that's hovers that never really enters our body. Now, the altar of a says. You can survive. Um, someone can survive Kares because of the remnants of the soul. Right? But the Arizal comes and says there's this secondary energy, this makif, this sovade energy that. Um, is, is all-encompassing, and maybe it's that part of the energy that keeps us alive, even after our soul connection, our, our actual internal connection is severed, okay? Any questions so far? 
Okay, so I want to read one second. This, this so vague energy, this transcendent energy is the part of God that far transcends and is far beyond his role as creator and director of the world. It's his essence. The so vague energy, this transcendent energy is a much higher energy. It's an, it's a very, it's the essence of Hashem. And because it's so powerful, it's too powerful to actually enter us physically to keep us alive, but it actually is way beyond just con in connection to the creation of the world. It is God's essence himself. So it, it is, it is almost what keeps everything going in a peripheral way. So the, the, the Mimale energy, the energy that fills us up, it's internal, it's internalized energy, but it's not as potent as this surrounding energy. So it's a little bit of an oxymoron because the surrounding energy, we don't internalize. So it feels more distant, but it's a higher energy of God. The Mamali energy, the energy that fills us up, yes, we internalize it more and it feels more powerful for us and it's stronger for us, but it's because it's a, a little bit more of a diluted version, which is why we can't internalize it. Does that make sense? So no matter what, no. So basically this, this so vague energy, this energy that kind of surrounds us is not affected by sin, transgression, mitzvahs. Like it's not affected by any of that stuff. Because it's, it's, it's so far removed. It's so purely God that it, it's not affected by our day-to-day -day choices. The internal energy that sustains us is very much affected by our choices. Does that make sense? So let me, let me share one more thing and then, and then we'll stop here for questions. When a person sins, he does not negatively affect this divine encompassing light. And vice versa, when he does a mitzvah, it does not affect the divine encompassing light, right? He does not, basically great and small are equal. Good and evil don't matter to this all-encompassing light because this encompassing light can sustain even one who transgresses a sin punishable by death. This encompassing light is not at any measure affected by our actions. So even though a person who sins and deserves kares and his internal connection to God is severed, that all encompassing light that kind of keeps the whole world kind of in existence is not affected by that. So that's, if that person would, would want to return, he's going to have to tap into that all encompassing light that's above him. And that's the connection to Hashem that he has to try to reach if he wants to return, which may, it's very difficult. Okay. 
this is where we're going to stop for today. We are kind of in the middle of a concept, but that's okay. We are going to stop right here. I'm going to mark, mark it. And next week, we're going to delve a little bit more into what this, the what these two kinds of light are and how they affect our life and how we keep being sustained. And um, and what else are we going to talk about next class? Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this concept that helps us understand why a person can still stay alive even though their connection, their internal connection of Hashem is severed. Okay, we're in the process of like really understanding that. Okay, beautiful. Any questions before we continue? Yeah, I don't understand the whole thing. Okay. Okay, but it's okay. Yeah. I'm going to review. I'm going to, you know, review. So the do you not? Is is the problem the difference between minutes. these two lights? I'm sorry. Is is the the sticky point for you the difference between these two right. types of? Right. When you started about this this concept of the external light and yeah. the internal light. Yeah. Is that yeah. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. get it. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it one more time here because I'm sure it doesn't hurt everyone to hear again. And then if after you listen to the recording again and it's and it's still not landing, please contact me. Okay. So basically what we're saying is that there is the type of light, the type of energy that sustains us physically and is very affected by our choices, whether we transgress, whether we don't. That light is called the internal light. That light is also connected to the three parts of our soul that actually enter our body. Because the three parts of our soul that enter our body is what's connecting us to God and is directly affected by the choices that we make. So when we sin, that connection weakens. When we have particular sin, that connection gets severed because that's the light that's internalized, and that's the light that is physically keeping us alive. The Ruach, Nefesh, and Neshama. But then it doesn't, it wouldn't be possible for the whole world and for everything to be sustained by that light. There has to be a higher, kind of more peripheral, kind of hovering, transcendent light that is too great to be totally internalized. That transcendent light is not affected at all by our actions. You can sin, you can not sin. That light is going to stay there and remain. That energy doesn't go anywhere regardless of our actions. There are two opposite lights from what I understand. They're, they yeah. do two, two opposite things. Yeah. One, one, one is internalized and one is absorbed and one is, is, um, I one is affected and one is not affected. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the, the light that's not affected by our actions is a, is a more pure. Powerful. It hovers, right? It's too great to be internalized. And that's why it's not affected by our actions because the essence of God is not affected by that. 
I'm, next class, I'm going to have another kind of example that will help us relate to this concept. Okay. But is that a little bit more clear? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little okay. more clear. Okay. But so, still uh, very. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I said, this is very abstract. When we're talking about different energies and lights of God and internalized energy and su surrounding energy and which parts of our soul that connects to and which ones. If, I mean, it's all very abstract stuff. It, it, it's not like I would I would say it's really shouldn't be graspable the first couple of times we talk about it. It's it's one of those things that we're going to keep talking about. And we'll every time you hear it will make a little bit more sense. Okay, great. But to, I mean, I had to read this like four times today before I like even had, I'm familiar with these two types of light, but in connection to our, our actions and our chuva and our relationship with God, like it's still, yeah. you know, make starting to make sense to me, but I, I, I had to do it. I mean, it's, it's something that takes, a, you're, we're, 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 we're delving into really abstract stuff. And, and we're we're trying to understand it tangibly and it's it's going to be difficult and parts of it we really won't ever understand because we're trying to understand an infinite god and we're finite beings and eventually we're not going to understand i was good i understood everything up until you started talking about the the lights uh yeah. to me it was like i'm in a different course now yeah you know, i'm like doing a yeah. different class yeah yeah and that's what happens like uh, the, the altar decides to throw in oh by the way and he throws in this very deep concept from Kabbalah and um, it's like, by the way, this took me 45 minutes just to like begin to try to understand what you're saying. Um, and I think it eventually like I could choose to skip these things, but there's a reason why the Altareva puts it in here. And I do think slowly but surely it will enhance our understanding and it, it does enrich our experience. Just be patient with me, with yourself, you know. Just take it as it comes. Okay, let's do a quick meditation and then we will um, wrap up. So get comfortable in your seat. Take a deep breath. And on your exhale, gently close your eyes. Inhale. As you inhale, open up your heart center. Let God in. And at your exhale, release any negative energy that might be stuck anywhere in your body. Inhale. Your breath is Hashem's breath. Every time you breathe, Hashem is breathing through you. Exhale. Negativity does not belong inside of you. Let it out. Inhale. Exhale. Physically let your body relax and melt into your seat. Inhale. Hashem loves you. He wants you in this world. And exhale. Okay, let your breath kind of return to its natural rhythm. What I want you to kind of think about and take home with you from class today 
is that two things. First of all, as long as we're alive, we have the ability to connect to Hashem. Okay. That's very powerful. Could be hard. It's not going to be easy. But no matter what, we have the ability to connect. Just let that sit for a minute. And the second thing is, is that there's two types of energy in this world. There's energy that you internalize, that keeps your connection to Hashem alive and is affected by your actions. And then there's the energy that never goes anywhere, no matter what you do. And we're going to learn next class, the practical implications of that. But I think it's powerful to just think about that God is not one dimensional, right? There's not like one type of energy. There's not one type of way to connect. There's not, everything is layered and it's deep. And there's many layers of God and some we can internalize and some sustain us from a distance. Think about what we learned in class today. Think about if anything um, resonates with you, if anything practically changes the way you think about God or your relationship with God, if anything um, can affect your day-to-day -day life. It was a little abstract today, but I still think you can find something that resonates with you. So just, just no right or wrong, or maybe you say, you know what? Nope, this class was way too abstract for me. That's fine too. But even if it's a tiny little thing that makes you think, take that home with you. Bring your attention back to your breath. We'll do two more big inhales and exhales. Inhale. Exhale. Beautiful. One more. Inhale. And exhale. Kind of bring yourself back to your space, your present moment. Be more aware of your surroundings, some sounds, some smells. You can move your body, roll your neck, shrug your shoulders. And then when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. If I'm going to stop the recording.